adventurous, philanthropic, and socially conscious are just a few of the words to describe my guest today on Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. She is an amazing entrepreneur who's been called a game changer with many of her business ventures. And with so many awards to her name, I don't even know where to begin, but I need to share a few of them anyway. One of the best entrepreneurs of the year by Entrepreneur Magazine. Female Executive of the Year, which is a Stevie Award, and Inc. Magazine named her company as one of the fastest growing companies in America. I'm happy to have joining me today, Nicole Sahin, CEO and founder of Globalization Partners. Nicole, welcome to my podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Me too. I'm glad to have you. Globalization Partners helps other companies easily expand around the globe within days as opposed to what probably sometimes could take months. And you work with more than 170 countries. How do you cut through the red tape? Whenever our clients want to hire an employee in another country, instead of them figuring out the red tape, we employ their candidate on the client's behalf. And that way they don't have to deal with the red tape because we already have it sorted. So we're locally compliant as the employer of record in all of those countries. And so the client doesn't have to figure it out. But yes, we have a lot of red tape on the back end of our business. But that's the point. Since we deal with it, the client doesn't have to. That is amazing. And I know that your company has really changed the way that that companies can expand internationally. But I'm curious to know, how has COVID-19 impacted the work you do, or has it made it easier for companies to expand? It did impact it at the outset. I think the whole world just kind of froze for a minute when COVID happened, and everybody had to reassess what they were doing. There's a few things. One is that our clients, they can't have somebody just travel into a country anymore to close a deal. You know, it used to be like you could send somebody from the U.S. to Mexico to go check out a factory or your products being developed, or fly to meet your client in Germany. And now companies can't do that, and they know they're not going to be able to do that for the foreseeable future. So they want to make sure that they can still close those deals and export their American goods and and certain products. So they're hiring local people on the ground in those countries, and we're actually seeing that accelerate. A lot of companies want to hire employees like maybe their, their U.S. team can't get an H-1B visa anymore, or they just want to go home and be near family if they were from, from another country. And so the clients are hiring those employees as locals in their home country instead of keeping them here in the Silicon Valley or wherever they're from. It's such a fascinating company structure, and I don't imagine that there are too many companies out there like this, so kudos to you on that. I know from our conversations in the past that you're, you're really an entrepreneur at heart. I'm curious, how does a girl born and raised in the Midwest end up launching a global company? Take us on that journey, because you've had many ventures along the way. So yeah, I did. I grew up in suburban St. Louis in a very, like one of those counties where everything is the same. Loved living there and grew up there until I was 18. And then in college, I started traveling. I started traveling on a program called Semester at Sea, which was a study abroad program. I just loved meeting people from everywhere. But like you said, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I thought I might want to do international development work or international NGO work. And one day it hit me like a ton of bricks that I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to ask people for money. I wanted to build a business. It was a life-changing moment when I decided to get an MBA. Moved to California, got an MBA, and joined a startup. And here I am all these years later. But I'm going to backtrack before the MBA because your first foray into launching a business and doing work in other countries was in the Caribbean. You started a yoga retreat in St. Thomas. How does that come about? (laughs) 
I graduated college right before 9-11 happened. I was traveling when 9-11 happened. And ultimately, when I got back to St. Louis, I realized like it was very hard to find a, the type of job that I wanted or anything that really inspired me from a career perspective. And I was just bartending and teaching yoga, which was really anticlimactic after having been such a student. I just say this for all the, all the people out there right now who are graduating in the midst of, of an economic downturn, that I just decided, well, if this is all I'm going to do with my life, I'm going to do it in the Caribbean. And I moved to the Caribbean and opened a yoga retreat outsourcing business and found a lot of success, but realized pretty quickly that I'm not meant to live in the Caribbean. I'm a, I'm a plug-in person, not a dropout person. <laughs> and the Caribbean's really good after you retire. And I also realized I was really good at like the programming and building a business, but I had no idea how to do things like accounting and filing tax returns and things like that. I realized I was an entrepreneur and I loved being an entrepreneur, but this wasn't my industry or gig. That leads you to your MBA and you start working with this company in Silicon Valley and you're the chief rainmaker with them. And you were there for about six years and then you decide to quit. You sell all your possessions. You travel to 24 different countries. Why did you leave and what were you hoping to accomplish and learn on this adventure? I was the fifth or sixth person employee on board a consulting firm. And the consulting firm used to help companies expand internationally. And I loved the work. Like Tesla would call and they'd say, hey, we need to hire somebody in Singapore next week. My role was to say, here's what type of company you need to set up in order to employ this person. Here's the employment benefits you should offer. And by the way, it's going to take you six months to set up a company in Singapore. You can't legally hire somebody until you get that company set up. And companies were always frustrated by that because that's not the way people do business. They find the talent they want to hire and they want to get that person on board immediately. After six years, I had probably set up 100 companies in the UK and 60 companies in Brazil and 40 companies in China. And I thought, if I could just set up one company in each country and give all my clients access to it, I would have a much more scalable business model. And the clients wouldn't have to do all this work and wait to figure out all this stuff. I think I pitched it internally. And at the time, it was not considered a legally compliant idea. Nobody was sure if this could work out. So when I traveled, I quit my job. My husband quit his job too. Wow. And he started a different business when we got back and we're both still married and happy, which I always say, <laughs> if you quit your job and both start two companies and you come back still married, it's good. After meeting with lawyers and tax advisors in 24 different countries, I was pretty sure I could make it work. It was just going to have to be really creative and like to have to navigate the legalities in each country to make a platform that would work. That was nine years ago. So now this is a legally accepted business model. We have lawyers from the biggest law firms in the world and the top four accounting firms, tax advisors sending us clients regularly. And I believe that we have fundamentally changed the way the world does business globally. And we're at the beginning of the beginning of our adventure, not anywhere even near the midpoint. It sounds really extraordinary and amazing. It's also my perception that all this time that you were traveling in all these different countries, you also witnessed poverty, you witnessed human indignities, and it was really important to you from a philosophical standpoint to find a way to give back. And in 2012, you, along with a small group of women, co-founded a school in rural Cambodia, and I love the name of the school, the Sweet Life School for Girls. What was the goal when you started that? And how is the school doing today? 
there's this expression that you might not be able to change everything, but if you can change things for one person, you've made a difference. I think that was it. And I knew when I quit my job in 2011 that I might be, you know, you never know when you're going to start a business, if you're going to like completely and utterly fail, or if you're going to be radically successful. And the chances were that I was going to be radically unsuccessful, just statistically. I thought I want to do one good thing for the world before I take such a big risk because I had a good network. I could do the fundraising for the school and like make an impact. And so I, I thought, you know, if I'm going to take a year off, I want to do one good thing during that time and make sure I've accomplished something for other people. And how's the school doing now? It's great. The point of the school was to leapfrog the digital divide. At that time in Cambodia, it was like 50% of the kids under the age of five in rural Cambodia would die before the age of five because they didn't have clean water. And they also didn't have access to education or the modern economy. This program was designed to help the kids have access to the internet and also to be able to learn English. So there's English language teacher at the school. And there was a well built at the school. So the idea was just to be able to help one village. The school's still up and standing and doing fine. It must be a sense of pride and joy to know that. Clearly, educating youth is important to you. And besides the school in Cambodia, you work on the board of directors for School for the World, which is in Guatemala. What's happening there? So School of the World was set up by a woman named Kate Caron, who's based in Boston. And she has set up over 100 schools in Guatemala, Honduras, and now Panama. She's an entrepreneur in Boston who I just admire tremendously. She was a lawyer at GE who just decided that she needed to do something different with her life. And she basically works with the government in each location and gets the local government to provide half the funds for the school, gets a foreign donor to provide half the funds for the school, and doesn't just build the school, but also makes sure that the programming is good, that the teacher shows up. She does a lot of community work. But yeah, we've built over 100 schools in Central America right now in some of the really poor indigenous communities. So it's just a joy. And it's amazing how far a dollar can go in, in Central America. I mean, it's hard to believe in this day and age. There are people who don't have anything. It's really hard to feel sorry for yourself on an average day when someone else doesn't have clean water or can't send their kids to school. And so I just think that we all have an obligation to do whatever we can to help. And it sounds like the schools that you're involved with, not only is it the school, but it really is the community itself and kind of engaging the entire community in order to support that success going forward. That's correct. You're also extremely passionate about empowering women. And at one time when you started your company, Globalization Partners, your entire executive team was all women. Now, you've since changed that. You've brought in some diversity. <laughs> Why was that important to you? I mean, first of all, statistically, companies that are diverse do just perform so much better. And that's across ethnic lines and across gender lines. But yeah, when I started the company, I had just reached out to a lot of strong female friends, and that was who was in my network. So I did what men often get in trouble for doing, which is I reached out to the smartest people that happened to be in my network and hired them to build the, the stage one executive team. And they just all happened to be women, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And we got a lot of credit for it. But I had really done the same thing men are often accused of. Basically, at some point, I, I think that when we had about 15 employees, I think we realized that if we kept hiring all women, that we were going to end up with a company without any men, and no man would ever want to join the company, which would block out about half the talent pool. And that's just not a good way to grow. So if I may ask, what's the percentage right now <laughs> that you have? 
Yeah, we're, we're 52% women. Our offices internally, we have about 215 people and it goes all across the globe. And I would say at the management level, it's probably about 52%. might be slightly higher on women. I'm not sure. We're just concerned with all types of diversity. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. As a successful woman in business, you have been quoted as saying, women business leaders today encounter a number of barriers, but the obstacle you must knock down is the path you must forge. What have been some of the obstacles you have had to face and what lessons have you learned from them? Actually, obstacles pop up every single day and I think you, you manage them and you delegate it and then you move on to the next obstacle. I don't feel like I've actually encountered a lot of obstacles as a woman and maybe that's rose-tinted glasses or maybe when I have, I just disregarded it and kept right on moving. But I will say that I was a little anxious around going to the Middle East and setting up some offices there. But when I ultimately did, I realized I should have gone much sooner and I just needed to get out of my own way and just get it done. Sometimes I think the stories we tell ourselves are bigger than, than they need to be. You just hit on something very important. We have to sometimes get out of our own way. Yeah. Crucial. How has your work around the world with all these different cultures and different people enhanced you to living your best life? I absolutely love having a team just all over the world. What we often say at the business is we're not just breaking down barriers to global business, we're breaking down barriers between people. And I think that that was something I always loved about traveling is that if you speak with someone on the streets of New Delhi or you meet someone at Parliament you know, building in, in Berlin, you realize that ultimately we're all human and we're all the same. I've gotten to create that community within my internal team. We're able to offer it to our clients and expand their world. And I think that that's really something that my life is all about. So it's just really joyful to have a team in Mexico City and Dubai and just to be inspired by how far these people take what was the original nugget of a vision so far beyond what I could have imagined possible. Since you've gone beyond the vision, dare I ask, what's next for you? <laughs> Again, I really think that this is day one of our industry, and this will be a huge, huge company. I think that we will have thousands of internal employees around the globe and that we will fundamentally change the way the world works. I love it, too, that we help companies be ethical in their employment around the world. You know, we're making sure that they're able to follow all the laws in all these countries and treat their teams well and really understand some of the nuances of life and business in those countries. It's amazing to be able to do that. It sounds amazing. From St. Louis, Missouri to all around the world and landing in Boston with your company, despite the fact that you are around the world, I really want to thank you, Nicole, for, for joining me today and reminding our listeners that we all can get involved in ways that will actually change the world. To your point, it just takes one thing, right? Right. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. So great to have you. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to Live Your Best Life. I invite you to listen into all of our episodes and may they inspire you along the way. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.